Welcome to Nakubo in Brief, a podcast series from the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO Susan Wheeler Johnston, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission with this podcast is to help our listeners better understand the challenges that face the business of higher education. Our hope is that you walk away with a stronger sense of the trends, policies, legislative and regulatory issues that may impact campuses today and in the future. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of educational tools at nakubo.org. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello, thanks for joining us so much again for another episode of the Nakubo in Brief podcast. I'm Megan Schneider, Senior Director of Government Affairs here at Nakubo, and I am so excited today to have Emmanuel Guillory joining us. Emmanuel serves as a Director of Student and Institutional Aid Policy at NICU. NICU, of course, is the National Association of Independent Colleges and Universities. They represent private nonprofit colleges and universities all across the U.S., Emmanuel, thank you so much for joining us. So happy to be here. So Emmanuel is really an expert to be joining us. What we are talking about today, I think, is probably the big sort of elephant in the room of the COVID-19 pandemic, and that is, of course, fall enrollment trends. Uh, And Emmanuel has a long and varied history in higher ed. Of course, he is with NICU right now, but he has previously worked on Capitol Hill and for UNCF. Uh, So we are so thrilled to be having such an expert join us. So Emmanuel, jumping in, I guess sort of the biggest question on everyone's mind, have we seen enrollment in higher ed uh, decrease this fall as a result of the pandemic? Well, that's a very good question. And according to the most recent data out there that we're able to analyze and look at, we are unfortunately seeing a declining enrollment. Um, And to be more particular, the National Student Clearinghouse as of September 24th did indicate that undergraduate enrollment is down by 4% in comparison to this time last year. Um, But graduate enrollment is actually up 2.7%. So we're definitely seeing more students going for a higher degree. Um, But overall college enrollment to include undergrads and graduate students is down 3%. So community college enrollment is down 9.4%, and they are hit the hardest. And who we're seeing second is private nonprofit institutions. Their enrollment is down 2%. Um, Public nonprofit enrollment is down 1.4%. But we are seeing private for-profit institutions enrollment up 3%. So while there's good news that graduate students, more graduate students are going to college and um, we are seeing some increases in other places, the majority of the higher education space is seeing a decline in enrollment. Thank you so much. Not not great news, but certainly some nuances in there, Emmanuel. Um, so you, you mentioned um, that uh, enrollment at private colleges and universities is down as well. Um, and I know that NICU recently published a study specifically of fall enrollment trends at private colleges and universities. Um, and since you studied private colleges and universities, and I believe, of course, you can confirm that that study did confirm that, fa- that it fall enrollment at private colleges and universities is down. Um, were there any differences in fall enrollment trends among different types of private institutions that you found? Were, were some types of private nonprofits doing better than others? Or is it just sort of across the board amongst your membership 
enrollment is down? Yeah, that's a really good question. So the survey that NICU did, um, we found that 2.4% uh, is was the decline of enrollment for our institutions. Um, but when we look at the different types of institutions that we surveyed, we used the Carnegie classifications. And so we learned that um, the median change in enrollment was negative 2.5% overall. But with baccalaureate colleges, they had the largest decrease of negative 3.7%. What came in second was master's colleges and universities with negative 3% and doctoral universities with negative 1.9%. So that was how we were able to determine which types of institutions had um, the certain percentages and decline in enrollment in our particular study. Seeing drops all all across the board in higher ed, of course, in, in, except for that uh, for-profit sector that you mentioned. Um, but I want to return to NICU's study really quickly. The biggest sort of catalyst in all of this is students, right? So did NICU's uh, study reveal anything about the types of students that are or are not enrolling this fall? Yeah. So our study looked at undergraduate students and looked at graduate students, but we also looked at Pell-eligible students. And so we learned that we saw a nearly 8% decrease among students who receive the federal Pell Grant award currently. Um, And then the median change in undergraduate enrollment across all types of the institutions that we had surveyed was negative 3.7%. But the median change in graduate enrollment um, was 1%. So we saw an increase of 1% for graduate students. And that was kind of how we broke broke down the data of the different types of students attending our institutions. Thank you so much. So earlier, Emmanuel, you mentioned the the recent National Student Clearinghouse Research Center data. Um, And for all of our listeners, I would encourage you, if you're not familiar with that, to go take a a look at it. National, uh, the National Clearinghouse has done a ton of research um, that is COVID specific and specifically on fall enrollment. Um, but that data that Emmanuel referenced earlier has shown that uh, when we're looking at overall drops in student en- enrollment, where we see the biggest uh, drop is among what would have been first-time students, right? So probably high school seniors, there might be some others in the mix, but for the most part, high school seniors <laughs> finish school this spring that should have been starting their freshman year this fall. That accounts for about 69% of total enrollment losses at the undergraduate level. Um, Emmanuel, you have spent a ton of your career working on student-focused policy issues. That's, of course, part of your role at NICU now, uh, but you did a lot of that at UNCF. You've done that on Capitol Hill for years. So what can you, as someone who has spent a lot of time thinking about student issues, what can you tell us about the impacts on students this could have? If I'm a a first-time student, I should have started this fall. And because of the pandemic, I either had to delay due to economic circumstances or I chose to delay because I'm not that excited about online learning. Uh, what what impact may that potentially have overall on my education? So there are a number of reports out there that have pros and cons to students who actually go immediately into college after graduating from high school or taking a break. Um, and so I think depending on what report you read, you will hear the positive sides of taking a break, which means that students who have the resources can go on a vacation and take a year off and 
you know, explore and take more time to figure out what they want to do with their life and uh, what kind of career they want to have and, you know, those sorts of things. Unfortunately, not every student has the resources available to be able to do that. Um, so for those students that don't have the resources available to kind of explore and, and, and enjoy a year or however long off, and they still choose not to go to college, those students arguably don't go at all. Um, what ends up happening, and this is one of the options, what ends up happening is they don't have the resources to, to take a vacation. So they actually have to get a job. So they end up working. And then all of a sudden, you know, they want to get an apartment. And so they're paying, you know, rent. And then, you know, the bills are coming in. So they're trying to work to pay the bills. And, but then they think about going to college, but then it becomes more burdensome because other things get in the way, other responsibilities get in the way. For students who immediately go to college, they, their main responsibility, um, if they're lucky, is just going to school. Some students also have to work in order to pay their way through college, but because they're already um, enrolled and already have it on their to-do list and they've done all the the, the work up front to get into college, then it's, you know, a part of their routine. It, it's a part of their lifestyle, going to class, then going to work part-time and then studying and, you know, that sort of thing. So there's also reports out there that say that if a student doesn't immediately go to college, then they could ideally not make up to $800,000 over their lifetime versus a student who does go to college. So when students are not going to college, they're not building their networks. They're, they're not um, thinking in a way of, okay, when I complete college, what is it that I'm going to do and how am I going to get there? What type of internship opportunities do I have available to me? What type of assistantship opportunities do I have available to, to me? The ability to even talk to administrators on campus to learn of different opportunities that they would not have necessarily have thought of. And also we have to think about the mental health of students too as well. For students who don't immediately go into college, some students are just fine with that. Some actually choose to go and they succeed, they do well, um, they graduate in four years and things seem to be okay. But other students, they automatically feel behind. And if you don't go immediately, then you feel like, oh no, my peers are kind of advancing before me. What does that mean? How do I feel about myself when I think about that? Do I even still believe in myself that I can do this? And if they actually enroll, it's just kind of that feeling of, all right, now I'm with a younger class and I'm just behind the whole time. But hopefully for some students that will motivate them to stay on track and to graduate on time, um, but for other students, sometimes it's just mentally and psychologically challenging. And I think that that is something that we don't think about as well. We don't think about um, students' mental health and the ability to even have the courage um, to continue to pursue whatever that dream is that they have. Wow. So a lot of nuance there that falls to a lot of different categories that uh, institutions need to be taking into account, it sounds like. Uh, so, so that we're sort of talking about uh, prospective first-time students there. 
Um, but we also know that a lot of students, a much smaller percentage, but there are still a not insignificant amount of students that were enrolled uh, that have already, you know, finished some level of work towards their degree that had to delay their education, ideally just for this fall semester, but who essentially had to withdraw from their education, whether it's to support family or to take on more work or, you know, what have you to, to care for family or friends. Uh, what impact does that have? Is there any data on what uh, delaying your education when you're sort of, you know, midpoint or when you've already enrolled? Um, are you any uh, impacts of that? But also, do you think that we'll see, you know, maybe four years from now, some sizable uh, long-term completion metrics that may have been impacted by the pandemic? I think that's a really good question. When we think about the completion metrics, that's generally based on a cohort. So an incoming class of students um, and their retention throughout and hopefully ideally completion, whether in four years, whether in six years or whether in eight years. So for students who are currently enrolled and withdraw, um, they are a part of a particular cohort. So if they, whenever they return, likely they will not graduate in four years because they took off a semester. So, or they took off two semesters. So that kind of puts them behind a year. So it ends up changing the number of students who are graduating in four years. That number will look a little, that percentage will look a little bit different um, than students graduating in five years, six years, seven years, or eight years. Of course, when we look at completion rates, what we generally judge that off of is a six-year completion rate, even though um, there's an encouragement for students to complete in four years, the majority of students will complete in six years. So I just foresee institutions seeing potentially a drop in the number of students who are completing in four years within those cohorts because they are literally not taking classes. So how can you complete unless, of course, they are um, overachievers and, you know, kind of buckle down with summer school, take additional credits and still complete um, in a certain amount of time. So I, I do think that we can expect to potentially see some some differences there in the rates. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that makes sense. It makes perfect. So I want to pivot to what we should be doing as institutions. Naiku and Nakubo both represent institutions directly. Is there anything that we should be telling our member colleges and universities that they should be doing in terms of outreach, support, both to would have been first-time students, right? Those students that should have enrolled this fall and ultimately chose to delay entirely or students that were enrolled that had to withdraw as a result of the pandemic. Obviously, we're talking about individuals that are not current students, right? So technically, they don't have a formal relationship with the university at this time. But recognizing that this pandemic is sort of hitting all of us in a, a pretty significant way, is there anything that our member institutions can or should be doing uh, in terms of outreach and support to these populations? Yes. Um, for students who would have been incoming freshmen but did not enroll because of COVID, I think that if the institutions have the resources, of course, should seek an understanding as to why they didn't enroll. Um, of course, college can be scary. Anything that's unforeseen that you've never experienced um, can be scary. And so getting a better understanding of 
did you not enroll because of the fear of being able to be successful in college, um, especially due to the pandemic and you don't quite know how to navigate the landscape? Or is it because you don't want to do a hybrid course or you don't want to do college completely online? I think, you know, seeking a better understanding as to the why will then give us a better idea of how to actually address the situation. Because that can mean that for students who just are anti-online courses, don't understand the value of that. Um, and then for those students who are first-time um, generation college students who just don't even know how to navigate college at all, um, I think that there could be a remedy. I think that there could be um, a better a better information given to students on what online courses look like and how they actually are still beneficial, how you can still learn um, and how you can still have office hours and how you can still have interactions with the professor even after office hours, you know, or just whatever additional help, tutors, mentors, um, student support services, whatever they may be, the institution articulating to the student, we can still provide you a quality education it may look a little bit different but this is how we can do it and this is how we can help you be successful making sure the student knows that they're not alone um, making sure they know that they they have people already there that are set up to ensure that they succeed i think that that's important um, that could make a difference for those students who actually withdrew and we're hoping that they come back I think doing the same thing, asking why, asking the why to better than understand how to address whatever that situation may be. So for some students, it may be resources. It may be that I withdrew because my parents lost their job and I am able to find, you know, some form of employment to help pay the bills. Okay. That's a very valid, very, very valid reason to withdraw. But the institution could say, well, here's how we can help you financially complete your education. You know, we have this amount of aid, institutional aid that, that we can award you because you qualify for these different scholarships that we give out. Um, here's what we received from the CARES Act, that's, that's student aid directly to you, the, the grant, the grant aid. And, and here's how you can use that money to help finance your education, to help cover some of these things that you, in your mind, thought the only way you could cover those things, if at all, was to go get a job or, you know, additional, find additional resources outside. So I think that institutions, again, if they have the resources to do this, could very well continue to be, um, continue to communicate with potential students and with current students, um, because the more they can engage, I think we will see a higher, hopefully, a higher return of students who withdrew and then actual increase in enrollment of students who just never enrolled. That's such a great point, Emmanuel. Um, I, I love that you're highlighting that there really is no one-size-fits-all approach to helping students or would have been prospective students because you're you're so right, right? Helping what a solution looks like for someone that had to withdraw as a result of you know economic changes due to the pandemic, a solution for them is going to look very different than someone just, you know was sort of maybe hesitant about online learning. And I think that's a great reminder for our, our member institutions to, to the extent that they can, be as uh, nimble and flexible 
as possible right now in developing solutions. Um, so, so that was great. Thank you for taking the time to go into the nuances of that. Uh, going to put you a little bit on the spot now. <laughs> we won't hold you to it, I promise. Um, because obviously there's, there's really no way to know the answer to this for certain, especially in this pandemic environment where, you know, at, at one point it looks like the economy is doing a little better than it does, you know, hugely worse. Um, so would you expect this decline in overall enrollment to carry through to the spring semester? Right, we're we're getting relatively close to that spring semester uh, already. We're recording this at the end of October. Um, would you see it? You know, imagine it carrying on through fall of twenty twenty one. How long, sort of looking at your crystal ball, would you anticipate that the pandemic is going to uh, continue to drive those enrollment trends downwards? That's a great question. And data shows that we've unfortunately been seeing a decline in enrollment um, in higher education over the past couple of years. So, for example, 2018, we had found that there was a decline of more than 275,000 students um, or the equivalent of 1.8% compared to the previous spring. Um, In 2019, we had found that there was a decrease by 1.3% in the fall of 2019 compared to the fall of 2018, and that equaled around 231,000 students. So it's not, we have been seeing a decline in enrollment overall. Um, Likely there would have been another decline in enrollment for fall of 2020, regardless of the pandemic. So the fact that the pandemic is happening and we're seeing this decrease in enrollment a lot of it, we can contribute to the pandemic, but I think overall we have been seeing that decline. Now, the reason why we've been seeing that decline is because the the economy has actually been pretty good over the past couple of years. Um, The employment rate was low, and so students were getting jobs and weren't going to college right away. Um, They were able to, I guess, jumpstart their lives in a way that worked best for them. Um, So we were seeing that However, there's still value in getting a degree. There's great value in getting a degree that we can't ignore. Um, Data shows that the higher the degree you have, the higher your earning potential is. And so I can only predict that for fall of 2021, because we have been on the trend of a decline enrollment, maybe we could see something like that. However, because the pandemic has has come in and added to that decline, those students that did not enroll due to the pandemic, if we're able to have a vaccine and, and people trust the vaccine and we can actually distribute the vaccine to everyone um, in a timely manner, then I think that we could potentially see a bump because we have a number of students who just didn't go to school because they don't feel safe. You know, they don't trust what's going on right now. And so they rather wait until they feel safer. And that's their choice. And so for those students, hopefully we would see them enrolling in fall of 2021. But when it comes to the spring of 2021, I would suspect that we would still see a decline in enrollment. I I don't think that students who didn't enroll in the fall of 2020 will all of a sudden enroll in spring of 2021 from the looks of it. We likely won't have a vaccine by then. Um, Institutions are still trying to manage COVID outbreaks on campus and doing the absolute best that they can. Um, But for those students that did not enroll due to the pandemic, 
the pandemic doesn't look like it's going away um, anytime soon, unfortunately. So. Yeah, great points there, Emmanuel. Your your point about the vaccine is a really good one. There's just so many things like that that we just really cannot predict uh, and that will continue to impact us in ways that we won't necessarily be able to see uh, sort of a year or two out, which is, I think, hard for those of us in higher ed that know that we like to plan a year ahead of time, at least, if we can, to sort of address all uncertainties. And we're just in this environment right now where we can't. And it is it is certainly concerning, but something that I know both of us uh, and our associations are trying our best to help our member institutions cope with. Uh, so, Manuel, thank you again so much for joining us today. I really appreciate having you. Uh, and thank you again to our listeners. As always, uh, please be sure to subscribe to the Nakubo in Brief podcast or be sure to check the Nakubo in Brief webpage on our web website to make sure that you are getting the latest episodes as soon as they are available. Thanks again for joining us and have a great day.